Hey everyone, and welcome to Beyond Rent. I'm Joe Easton from Rent Manager, and I'll be your host. This podcast is focused on having conversations with experts so we can all learn more about the property management industry. Joining me today is Katie Rose from Pins Advantage, and our topic is bringing risk management in-house, specifically focused on vendor insurance tracking. Katie brings a ton of value and energy to this conversation. So let's get to the conversation and go Beyond Rent. Ongoing property maintenance is a significant part of property management. Along with that comes the burden of finding the right vendor for the job and verifying they meet your requirements and are properly insured. To better understand how all of this works together, Katie Rose of Penn's Advantage is joining us today to talk about risk management as it pertains to vendors and the best practices to lessen the burden. Katie, welcome to Beyond Rent. Thanks, Joe. I'm super excited to be here. Appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, thanks for joining me for this really important topic. I think risk management is something a lot of people think about on a regular basis, uh, managing different vendors, trying to find out who's the right fit uh, to get the job done is important. Uh, but before we get into that topic, I want to make sure our audience knows you a bit better. Can you tell us a little bit about Pins Advantage as well as your role there? Yeah, definitely. So uh, Pins is a insurance tracking software. So we help property management companies do this task to manage the risk associated with the vendors they're hiring. And we started, um, you know, my dad was an insurance broker. It's probably best to start the story there. So growing up, you know, he really understood the risk that businesses faced in hiring the right vendor and getting that kind of material from them in advance of the work actually being executed. And he understood the risk, you know, if they didn't do that, what might happen? What would be the outcome if an insurance claim occurred? So in 2013, when I graduated college, he and I built out a cloud version of our software that, you know, we've since elaborated upon many times and began to market it to really anyone that would listen to us. He had a good pulse on the general construction space and property management space, as well as municipalities. So those were some of our first users. And today, I'm the CEO of the company. We have you know, a great team here in San Diego, California, that's building out this software and finding a way to bring easy and effective risk management to property management companies, contractors, you name it. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I always find it interesting, like how people get involved in different industries, and and it's so common to kind of hear what you said there that you know your father was in an industry, was very comfortable with it. He understood it. He was an expert in that area, but he saw a need, right? He saw that there was like this missing element and that there was this exposure, this risk that companies could have if they weren't really getting that insurance information up, up front to ensure, you know, that, that vendor, that company has the right level of uh, protection in case there is, is an accident. Were there any stories like growing up that you remember that he would tell about, you know, things not going well? Because again, on the insurance side, I'm sure he, he constantly was faced with with these types of issues that came up. 
Oh, yeah. So my dad is, uh, we call him an L.A. cowboy, just kind of a hard knocks guy. Very funny, very charismatic, very into his work. He likes insurance, horse racing, and football. And the list pretty much stops there. I guess stakes, you could add red stakes to that list. And he would come home from work and just tell me and my sister how it was, you know, just very interesting guy always talked to us like we were little adults and taught us from an early age what he did for work. So routinely, his clients would have these issues. They wouldn't be able to find the insurance they collected from a vendor and therefore they were possibly subject to paying the insurance claim themselves because they they weren't great at tracking vendor insurance contracts or documents, etc. So my dad would spend weekends in storage units out in Azusa, California with one of his clients searching through boxes and boxes of documents to try to find three pages of additional insured endorsements that would save his client from paying an insurance claim that he wasn't really responsible for. So, you know, I think that that experience for him and that constant stress his clients were under drove him to create something like pins because he wanted his clients to be better at this because it would mean a he would stop spending weekends and you know sweaty storage units out in Azusa but it also meant that his clients would stick with him right they would get this value add from him as their broker and that they would be motivated year after year to renew their policies with him so he was very motivated to build this tool for them and to bring them a real solution for risk management so, and you talked about how you got involved. So was this idea of using technology to solve this? Was this his idea? Like what kind of like created that idea? And then where do you come in as far as the creation of the product and the management of the product and kind of taking it to the next level? Yeah. Creating an actual software for it was always his idea. And he built out a beta version of pins prior to me graduating college. And we would talk constantly, you know, about the concept of pins and how if we could build it as a cloud software and market it, you know, as a subscription model, who would use it? Would you know, airports would use it, property management companies would use it, contractors would use it, everybody. So when I graduated college, I came home and studied that beta version and learned from him, you know, over the course of a year how insurance works. You know, I really got kind of an insurance 101 education from him, which I had growing up, but that was a dedicated year of understanding, you know, how to read an endorsement. What does a waiver of subrogation mean? What do insurance requirements inside a contract with a vendor actually look like? You know, how does a owner of a building get affected by a vendor separate from a property management company that may not necessarily own the building? So he, you know, told that story to me and showed me really all the players in the game for all these various industries. And then we hired a firm to rebuild this PINS application with a ton of new features and a ton of new information as a cloud software that we could market. And I have to kind of go back to a little bit of what you said earlier about how your father kind of approached, I would say it's even raising, <laughs> raising you as far as like, you made a comment, like speaking to you as if you were an adult, even though you were, you were still young at that point. 
Did that shape you in any way as far as like how you approach the world, how you approach business? Is that kind of where you like learn what it might look like to be a CEO when you grow up or, or where did that part come from? Cause I think that's also interesting that you had this person in your life that it sounds like he was very driven. He wanted to build new things. Uh, even, you know, once you were older, you know, he was still kind of reinventing who he was. Is that part of what it has like driven you towards your role of CEO or, or where did that inspiration come from? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, my dad was, you know, always telling me and my sister, I'm so happy I had girls. I never wanted boys. And I don't know why he always told us that, but you know, like that was a, a mantra in our house. And I think he really wanted both of us to grow up knowing that sky's the limit, you know, that he, he would get us to whatever position we wanted. He would help us with that education and we could achieve anything that he or anybody else set their mind to. You know, my sister owns her own veterinary practice. She's very driven. And for me, you know, I loved the idea of building a software company and seeing how far I could take it. I saw the market opportunity. You know, this market is massive. If you build the right tool, it's industry agnostic. And the advantage of being a woman in this role is that, you know, I, I get to pull on my female intuition and my EQ, right? Like I have a sense of what's going on with my team, where they're at in their head, what their drive is, what their struggles are, that I think is a little more dialed in sometimes than your traditional you know, male CEO. I can really feel what they feel. I'm very empathetic because I'm a woman. So those aspects of my leadership are advantages. There's also disadvantages, right? I have different strengths and different weaknesses, but I really like the ride. And he made sure that we knew from a young age that anything was possible. Yeah, that's really fun to hear and exciting to understand your journey along the way. And I know also we're going to get into this risk management topic here in a second, but I think it really is uh, insightful to kind of hear your experiences and where you're at. And and in the tech world specifically, you know, like a lot of industries has been dominated by male leadership for, for years, right? So to kind of hear how you got there, why you got there and what you're doing now that you're there, um, I think it's very inspirational. I think it's fun to hear. Um, I know, you know, at our company, you know, having diversity and leadership is important. And I know that hearing kind of your story and kind of what you've experienced that it is valuable to you and it was valuable to your father as well, regardless of what generation, you know, he was representing during that time. Yeah. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. I remember for my eighth grade graduation, he took me shopping at Nordstrom's for my outfit. And I really wanted these pink high heels. And, you know, they were way too mature, I'm sure, for my actual age. But he said, okay, you can have them, but you have to practice wearing them in the house every day until graduation. Because I'm not going to let you walk out not looking like you know what you're doing in those shoes. So I did. So he got them for me. And then every day he made me practice for a month before I graduated. You know, how, how hilarious is that? It's like, it's just a really interesting approach to raising women and kind of embracing their uniqueness, but making sure that they don't fall on their face. Yeah. Yeah. Show up prepared, right? <laughs> It's mm -hmm. a great yeah. lesson. That's a great lesson. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all that background. Again, I think it's important to kind of understand who you are, where you've been, what you're up to, so our audience kind of understands um, what you're really doing there at PINS. Um, I think it's a valuable part of the conversation. So let's kind of get into kind of the meat of the topic today and talk more about 
this idea of vendor compliance and risk management. So let's make sure we kind of define a few items. You know, when I say risk management, I might have certain thoughts in, in my head as far as what that looks like and maybe how it applies to industry. But can you tell me what it is you think of when you say or you reference risk management? Yeah. So risk management's a really big subject. There's risk associated with your own employees. There's risk associated with financial forecasting. There's risk associated with vendors and tenants and renters that you're exposing your business to. In terms of our software, I think in, in terms of this podcast today, I'm really focusing on the risk associated with the vendor that a property management company is hiring to do some type of work. And that risk with that vendor is related to the work they're executing, right? If it's a plumber that you're hiring to redo all the plumbing in a building, if that plumber doesn't do a good job, then you're exposed to their faulty work. And that exposure may come up immediately or in a year or two years or three years down the line. But because you hired that vendor and you let them into your building, you let them into your world, you've now exposed your business to everything that vendor brings to the table. And if that vendor is not properly insured, then that exposure becomes the property management company's responsibility as opposed to being able to tender it to the vendor. So when we say risk management for the sake of, again, this podcast episode, we're focusing on the vendor side. We're focusing in not only on what's happening while they're on site doing something, but also what may happen after the fact, right? Once the repair is done down the road, if there's any, I guess, fallout or uh, collateral damage that happens when the repair didn't go right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've let this vendor into into your world. So whatever they do, you're now subject to. Yep. And I think that's a big part that maybe not everyone realizes. I know it's something I don't often think about, like that as the property management company, you, you, like I said, you allowed them into your world. You, you approve them. You said, this is the person I'm selecting to work on my behalf. So now there, there's some risk there. And when we look at, you know, specifically property management, what are some of the common areas that present the most risk uh, when it comes to vendors? Are there certain things that come up on a regular basis that uh, tend to be the highest risk level? Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point, Joe. I think we can get into that more a little later too about you know those high risk vendors and how to identify them but vendors that are doing major maintenance work like large plumbing repairs or plumbing installations same type of thing for electrical work where you have a vendor that's doing a multi-story window cleaning and there's scaffolding that they're using to get up to those higher windows any scaffolding for that matter any vendor painters drywall repair stucco repair that are using scaffolding, that's a high-risk vendor. If you can think of a vendor that could potentially hurt themselves dramatically executing their work, or a vendor that could cost a ton of financial damage if they didn't do their work well, then that's a high-risk vendor. So it's a lot of construction and maintenance, but you're also exposed to risk through, let's say, janitorial vendors, because these are vendors that are you know in and out of the office moving through every area of the building to keep it clean. So you want to make sure you have a, a solid contract and insurance that's actually endorsing you as a property management company and ex- reducing your risk exposure to them. So that high risk vendor is 
a diverse profile. It's really any vendor that could cause a lot of financial damage or really hurt themselves in executing the work. So it's not only the type of work they're doing, like you said, high risk or using equipment that could hurt them or hurt others, but also like, I I love how you mentioned that it's almost like the level of access they have to the property as well, right? Where if you have somebody that just has access to maybe the outside of the building, there's a certain level of risk, but if they have access to the entire building, that's a whole nother level of risk just based on, again, access that they have to different places within the property. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then when we look at, you know, how people manage this process currently, the, the, and I guess it's the sort the COI process is I think how you refer to it uh, in your experience, how are most managing that? Are, are they using systems? Are they uh, using outside sources? Like what, what's kind of the common practice for, for managing these vendor COI? The most common practice is that they're either managing vendor insurance on a spreadsheet with their own internal administrative resources and personnel, or they're managing vendor expiration dates. And again, they're using their, you know, internal administrative personnel and resources to do that. So, you know, those are two common ways that these vendor insurance policies and documents are being managed or tracked. But I think a key point here, Joe, to pay attention to is that typically in both of these common methods, just the vendor's insurance expiration dates are being tracked, but that is not enough. Simply tracking your vendor's expiration date doesn't guarantee coverage in the event of a claim. So what are those other elements that you have to track beyond that expiration date? It's a real education gap that I think property management companies and risk managers in this space suffer from, they need to be collecting not just the insurance certificate from their vendor, but they need to be ensuring that they, as a property management company or an owner of a building, are truly additionally insured and endorsed on that vendor's insurance policies, which is additional paperwork that they need to get from the vendor at the time of collecting insurance. So let's say you're a property management company and I'm your electrician. You hire me for a major electrical repair in a 20-story building. The work is going to take six months. And before it starts, you ask me for proof of insurance. So I give you a standard certificate of insurance in a CORD 25 form And I show you that my insurance policies are effective and active. And you go to your spreadsheet and you punch in that expiration date. That doesn't really mean anything in the event of an insurance claim. If my electrical work results in a major building fire and you call me and say, Katie, your insurance company needs to cover the damage because it was your work. That's not actually coverage. Having proof of my insurance certificate doesn't equate to coverage in truly tendering the claim. So what you need to collect from me is additional insured endorsements, waivers of subrogation, other documents that prove that I, Katie Rose, have truly endorsed Joe Easton on my insurance policies, and I am going to be responsible, or rather my insurance policies are going to be responsible for any of my faulty work. 
That makes a lot of sense. And like you said, it seems like, you know, tracking through a spreadsheet um, is not going to provide all that additional information, right? So these companies out there are probably sorting by expiration date, reaching out and getting updated expiration dates, but they're never truly getting that additional paperwork is what you've experienced in the industry so far. Exactly. And doing, you know, insurance tracking on an expiration date or tracking an expiration date in a date field leaves the risk manager and their administrative personnel with a false impression that they're doing this task well, when in reality, they're wasting hours tracking expiration dates that aren't going to help them tender insurance claims. Mm -hmm. They should take those hours back and go get an education on what they actually need to be collecting from these vendors. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So a lot of what we've talked about is kind of like what it looks like to manage in-house, right? Is that kind of how you would phrase that versus like an opportunity to outsource or use a service to track that? And I guess maybe talk us through a little bit more about the differences there of, again, doing something in-house versus using a resource. Because it sounds like they could go get the education and know what they're doing and still manage it in-house, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you know, when you do this in-house, I'm a big fan of doing this in-house. PINS is a tool that risk managers and administrators can use to do this effectively in-house. There's also others that I'll mention, right? We have competitors like any business, but doing it in-house is ultimately the better solution because it's your business's risk. And therefore, ultimately, it's your problem as the property manager or the owner of the building. You may not like this reality or you might not think like, you know, it's fair, but whatever you think, it's the reality. So I think a good analogy here is to think about it like your own personal health, your own physical health. You can outsource certain aspects of that, right? You can hire a chef to prep you healthy food every night or a delivery service to deliver healthy food. You can buy a gym membership. You can hire a personal trainer that sleeps next to you and wakes you up with a green smoothie and a smile and says, Katie, you got to work out. But at the end of the day, it's my health. If I don't own it, then I'll never get the results that I want. So this is the same scenario. It's your business's risk. You have to think of it that way. Ultimately, you have to take this in-house. And you can do that with tools like PINs, TrustLayer, Smart Compliance. These tools are, let's call it do-it-yourself softwares that come at a more affordable cost and give you a way of managing this in-house. Gotcha. So so just because you're using outside software doesn't mean you're outsourcing it, right? You can still use software to manage the process uh, more effectively in-house versus more of an outsource type um, situation where you're just paying someone to do it for you. Yep, certainly. And I think you should use, you know, tools, third-party software tools to do it in-house because these tools are built to solve the snitch problem. And the tools are structured in a way that it helps you get your own education around what you should be collecting from a vendor. Are they truly in compliance with the contract requirements or do you simply have expiration dates? So these software tools give you this visual indicator of compliance that you're not getting from a spreadsheet, that you're not getting from a simple date field. Yep. That makes sense. So what does it look like when you like look at like an outsourcing, uh, you kind of mentioned it a little bit, like with that analogy of like your health, but are there certain like 
specific like pitfalls that you find like people fall into when they are completely outsourcing it? Is it one of those things that's like so far, you know, out of sight, out of mind that you kind of lose track and kind of lose uh, the, the pulse on what's really happening with your risk? That's, that's exactly the issue. Yeah. The old saying, you know, you outsource what's not important to you is a saying for a reason, you know, a reason it's, this is an important part of your business. So you shouldn't outsource it. Now, outsourcing has its advantages. Sometimes, let's say you don't have team members on staff that are currently educated in the insurance space. So you need to outsource. Or maybe those team members don't have the bandwidth during the day to go and get the insurance education. So you outsource initially. You can use a company like MyCOI or Ebix. These are good firms. But the problem is, is that it's still your business's risk and ultimately you're accountable when something goes wrong. So let's say you hire a third-party firm to outsource this to. Number one, it's going to be extremely expensive because you're using their human capital to get this done. And then it's never really off your plate. Just like you said, Joe, as the business owner, as the property manager, if a vendor is being hired and that vendor is unable to comply with the insurance requirements in the contract, and they're going back and forth with my COI or EBICS about deficiencies, and they simply just cannot afford to get the type of insurance coverage that you as the property manager are requesting in the contract. Ultimately, my COI or EBICS is going to come back to you and say, can we make this exception? Mm. And you're going to have to decide because it's your business. And if you're still not educated in this space, then you're making a decision in the blind. And you're part of the decision. So, you know, you're getting that phone call. You're spending minutes talking to Ebix. You're spending minutes talking to the vendor. You're calling your broker and saying, the vendor can't do this. Am I okay to make this exception? I'm confused. I wish this third-party service I hired would just get this done. So you're never really out of it and it's never off your plate because it's your business, because it's your health. You know, you, you have to be involved. Yep. And I, and I do love what you said there as far as like, if it's important to you, you know, your team probably really has to have their hands on it and touching it and making sure that it does meet the requirements that you have, uh, you know, to, to be safe, to be compliant and who kind of sets those levels. Cause I'm sure there are certain dollar amount thresholds for insurance. Is that up to the property management company to decide, or are there certain people that are out there that are experts to help guide uh, these companies or is it like their own insurance company? that's going to come back and say, no, when you use vendors, you have to have a certain level of, of insurance uh, before you work with them. Yeah. So it's the property management company that ultimately decides what they're requesting from a vendor in terms of insurance requirements. But that property management company is deriving these requirements through conversations with their broker, their own insurance broker, through conversations with their own corporate attorney, There are attorneys that specialize in insurance requirements, contract insurance requirements. There's also risk management firms and risk management networks that you can become a member of that give you access to these types of insights. So it is totally reasonable, in my opinion, that a property management company isn't doing this well because they have to be really inventive and take the initiative on their own to go and drill down on these requirements. They have to go to their broker themselves and say, I need your help with this. Mm -hmm. If you want my renewal, you got to help me with this. 
they got to go to their corporate attorney and say, are you the right attorney to help me review these insurance requirements in the vendor contract or is that somebody else? Yeah. And one of the things we hear all the time, and this is true, you know, property managers wear a lot of different hats, right? They have to know a lot of different things. Um, and, and I think this is a great example of one of those things that would be easy to say, Hey, I don't know the right answers. I, you know, don't feel like we can do this in house, but the resources are out there, you know, and it seems like with the right amount of effort and the right amount of education and kind of getting those right resources around you, this is something that's very manageable and it does reduce risk, which at the end of the day, that's a lot of what property managers do as well, right? They're trying to manage the risk of everything from vendors to, you know, what residents to approve. There's a lot of things they're trying to manage to make sure they're lowering the risk at their property. So that makes, makes a lot of sense to me. So when we look at kind of the big picture of risk management as it applies to vendors, what are some of the steps that these operators should be taking towards better managing this risk, right? Um, as, as you su- suggested, uh, you know, the best path forward for many is going to be able to do this in-house. What are those, you know, initial steps or best practices that they should be looking at? So I think when you talk about how do I actually execute a risk management strategy around vendor insurance requirements. That's a big goal, right? And there's a lot that goes into it. You have to go to your broker and start talking about it. You have to go to your corporate attorney, start talking about it. There's administrators that are working directly with the vendors that need an education on this. So it's a very large goal. And the best way to tackle it is to think about it in three steps, in my opinion. So step one, admit you have a problem. You know, get your head out of the sand. You cannot bury your head in the sand any longer. So start to wrap your mind around your own risk exposure. You know, reflect on your business. What's going on day to day? Where is the risk? Which risk levels leave me, the business owner, with the most exposure? You know, is it the gentleman on scaffolding outside cleaning the windows? Is it the janitorial staff that has keys to every single office? You know, where is it? Start to really visualize it. Walk yourself through scenarios of doomsday and accept it. Breathe in that risk, freak out about it, and just like own it. It's your problem. Mm -hmm. Then talk to people about it. Talk to your broker. Talk to your attorney. Talk to the admins. Everybody needs to get on the same page that this problem exists. Then set realistic goals, right? You don't have to move the mountain in one night. So you've now really identified you have a problem and you've thought through your risky vendors. Choose the highest risk vendors. You know, maybe that's just the first 10. Maybe that's the first 100 vendors. Choose a small group and set a goal of solving this problem within that group. And do this by getting an education, right? Join an ERMI network. Ask your broker if he can give an educational seminar to your administrative team about how to properly review insurance requirements from a vendor. You know, start to set some little small goal and then make sure as part of that goal, you have accountability processes baked in. Once a month, audit your admins to make sure they actually got the proper insurance requirements from these 10 vendors. Or ask your broker if, you know, once a month he can audit your admins until there's a confidence factor with your team. So step one, identify and accept the problem. Step two, set a realistic goal. And then step three, repeat step one and two, right? 
You've now figured out how to track insurance for your 10 riskiest vendors. And you're certain that you actually have proper insurance requirements from that set of 10. So then repeat it, choose the next group, choose the next group until you have compliance across every vendor in your organization and you've created a process that has accountability baked in. I really love that because like you said, this is a big topic. I think this is a heavy topic for a lot of people. So as they look at it, it could be very overwhelming, very daunting to understand, you know, what are my next steps? What do I need to do? How do I fix this for all my vendors at once? Uh, so I really appreciate your, your thought process there to do it in small chunks, right? And, and again, the highest risk first, right? Let's take care of that first. Let's create a process. Let's make it repeatable. And, and instead of like rolling out something across all your vendors that you may not love, that you may need to change at some point, you can kind of do it very slowly, methodically, um, and build some confidence in this topic that I'm sure many, like I said, feel a little overwhelmed when they start talking about. So I think that's, that's super, uh, uh, intelligent. I think that's easy. I think that's a, a process that anyone listening <laughs> could at least start with, right? And I, and especially that first part, admit you have a problem. I think that's so, so easy just, uh, um, in business to not look at the things that are not working well, focus on what you uh, want to do different. But some things like this, just they're not fun. They're not exciting. Sometimes when you start talking about insurance and, and compliance and risk, right? Yeah, it's a pretty dry topic. But yeah, start there. You have a problem and you have the tools to solve it. So solve, you know, 5% of it today. You don't have to solve all of it because you've been rolling the dice on this problem for decades. So take off a little bite. You know, you don't have to fix the whole thing at once. Yep. That's perfect. Well, Katie, uh, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I think this is, like I said, it's not the most exciting of topics, but it's a really, really important one that I think people tend to ignore because either they, they, have chosen outsource it or they've chosen not to really dig in as deep as they need to, to understand it, to make sure that they're protecting themselves. Uh, but before we wrap up, I want to make sure that our audience knows a bit more about you and how to contact your company. If they have additional questions, because I can only imagine people are going to listen to this and say, yeah, but what about this? Or how does this work? Or I've always been confused about vendor COI in, in this area. Is there a way that they can reach out and learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So they can visit our website, pinsadvantage.com. There's a ton of resources on our website about all the subjects we covered. And they can always schedule a conversation with one of our team members to discuss, you know, PIN's solution to these problems specifically. But our team members are versed on our competition, you know, these networks I mentioned. So a lot of this subject matter we can have a conversation about and give you the resources you need. That's perfect. And I, and I truly believe the more educated people are, and I'm glad you're willing to talk through kind of how uh, your competitors handle things and so forth. Cause I think the more educated people are, the better decisions they can make for their own business, right? Everyone has to kind of decide how they want to manage this on their side. So I think that's a, a great way to lead is through education. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thanks for being on Beyond Rent. I think this has been a great episode. I think our audience will really love hearing from you on this topic about risk management. And I also want to thank our listeners for joining us as well. It means so much that you choose to spend this time with us. And if you enjoyed this episode, then make sure you're subscribed so you can get all the latest episodes in the future. And while you're there subscribing, make sure that you rate, review, and share with others in the property management space. And if you aren't familiar with our software quite yet, Rent Manager, then visit rentmanager.com to learn more, or you can reach out to me, Joe Easton, directly on LinkedIn. And until next time, keep going beyond rent.